is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me is Keith Black Trudeau. And we got another big one today. And I want to talk about that. But first, we got to talk about the international explosion that is uh, Bad Boys and Beyond. It's like when the Beatles came to America and it was like the British invasion. We're the basketball invasion. I got this weird email today that said that Bad Boys and Beyond is the fourth most popular basketball podcast in Ireland. Keith, we did it. Yeah. Uh, we did something I wasn't, we weren't even really attempting to do. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do respect to uh, the great uh, nation of Ireland and all the fine basketball fans there. I just didn't figure that we'd have a whole lot of interest, but, but I will say I appreciate the support. It's uh, we're big over there. We're like Hasselhoff in Germany. You know, we could go to Ireland and and rule that place. Anybody will buy us a, a pint and uh, it'll be great. And, you know, not only are we fourth in, in uh, basketball, we're in, in Ireland. We're 39th in basketball in Canada, which feels like a big deal. That, that to me <laughs> sounds like an incredibly big deal, considering how much basketball's exploded. Yeah. Uh, over the last 20 years in in Canada. I wonder how much of that's Windsor and in that area, just kind of close to you know, you know, Windsor still counts. I, I don't care. Yeah, I, it's Canada. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 43rd in Australia, at 90th in Germany, 112th in the good old US of A, 119th in France, and then in terms of just sports podcasts, we're 156th in Ireland. So... In terms of basketball, they love us in Ireland. And Swiss, I'm guessing about 150 of those are are uh, football related or like stone throwing or something like that. Um, I'm not sure what I they they have some some like log throws. They have some weird sports in. Well, Ireland. I think I think that I think that's Scotland. Oh, Scotland. Okay, I, I think that I, might be Scotland. My apologies to Ireland. Please do not uh, do not stray away from us. We love you, Ireland. But uh, so, yeah, so we're just, you know, killing it in the international space. And I want to thank everybody uh, who's listening to us internationally as well as here in uh, in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But let's get into today's topic. We're talking about Sugar Bear. <laughs> Terry Mills, Sugar Bear. Keith, we were talking off the air. Do you even remember being him being called Sugar Bear? I don't remember it. I, I remember maybe one or two occasions, but I couldn't tell you when. I, I, the, the nickname sounds familiar to me uh, from my youth, but I, I never made a point to call Terry Mills that, uh, even in passing as a nickname. I, I'm not quite sure where the internet got that from. Uh, to, to me, and I promise you to everybody listening that grew up uh, watching Terry Mills play, he will always be three mills to us. Wasn't Sugar Bear from uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch? Or is he, that... might, he, he might have been. I confess, I, I don't recall a whole lot from Starsky and Hutch. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I, I corrected. It's Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear, not Sugar Bear. Um, St uh, Starsky oh, Hutch. right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's start off in the early days. It seems like Terry Mills was born to be a Detroit Piston. Uh, he grew up in Romulus, Michigan. He's related to former Piston John Long and former Piston Grant Long. Um, geez, you know, is this guy meant to be a Piston or what? Yeah, if uh, I, I think we talk a lot about, especially in, in college terms, you know, quote unquote, homegrown uh, prospects. Uh, usually it's more of a football thing, but in basketball, the term comes up. And, you know, to me that how I would determine a, a homegrown Detroit Piston would be uh, born in Detroit or the, the surrounding metro area 
uh, went to school somewhere in the state locally and then played a significant role uh, at some point with the team. And I've got, honestly, the, the Pistons have been in Detroit since 1958. That That's a very long time. That's going on, what, uh, 64 years now. And the, the list of players that have stayed local is actually pretty small. Uh, obviously, the most successful, uh, Dave DeBusher, uh, made the biggest impact from Detroit by went to U of D. Uh, actually, was a was a player coach with the Pistons, which was a debacle, but he was. And you know, today he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, mainly because the Pistons traded him to the Knicks, and the Knicks won several championships. But he was one of the elite power forwards in the game, even with the Pistons. Uh, Chris Weber. Uh, people don't think of him as a Detroit Piston, but I think anytime you start on a team that goes to the conference finals, I think that can, that constitutes a significant role. Uh, one quick shout out I wanted to give to a guy named uh, Terry Durod, who who did play uh, briefly with the Detroit Pistons. But, but if you if you talk to anyone that was around in the late '70s and early '80s. Uh, in the city of Detroit watching basketball all the time. Uh, most most people still consider him the greatest shooter ever to come out of the city. And that, getting back to what you said, uh, there is what I would almost consider the first family of Detroit, uh, Detroit hoops. Three players, all from Romulus, all related. Uh, the first, John Long, a great shooting guard for the Pistons. Isaiah Thomas's first uh, backcourt teammate. Uh, his his nephew, uh, Grant Long, also from Romulus, uh, played for the Pistons a couple of years, uh, went to Eastern Michigan. And our subject of tonight, which is uh, one Terry Mills. And in terms of success inside the city as an amateur, uh, Terry Mills far out, out classes everybody else uh, I've, I've mentioned. I want to mention Greg Kelser, too, in passing. I know he wasn't with the Pistons very long, but he was—he is a local guy. Went to state, won a championship, uh, came back uh, with the Pistons as a draft pick. A anyway, Terry Mills. I want to say if you want to think about Chris Weber's impact, and, and I don't want to compare them as players because obviously Weber, a deserving Hall of Fame player, but in terms of being uh, dominant at the high school level, Terry Mills was right there with him. His senior year, he was the number two prospect in the country. All-American, first team. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan, and he led Romulus to the Class A state title. There was really nothing more he could have done as far as being a, a major high school prospect. And he went to the uh, University of Michigan where he didn't, uh, he didn't play. He was academically ineligible because of his SAT score. So he sat on the bench his – well, I'm not even sure if he was allowed to sit on the bench his freshman year at Michigan. But despite being this amazing prospect, he he didn't play until his second season. And even in his second season, you got to understand, that was probably – even if you include the Fab Five years, even if you include the uh, John Beeline teams or the current Jawan Howard teams, th those late 80s Michigan basketball teams were probably the – had the deepest collection of talent in the history of the school. Maybe, yeah. maybe they weren't as top heavy. They didn't have a Chris Weber uh, in, in terms of impact. They may not even have had a, well, no, they definitely had a, a player better than Trey Burke and Glenn Rice. But in any case, yeah, they had five, they had Michigan or they had NBA players coming off of their bench for, for, for a lot of those years. So Terry Mills, even though he was uh, this incredibly, uh, this incredibly hyped prospect. He never really was the guy at Michigan. Uh, his first, uh, his first, well, his first year, he sat on the bench, his second uh, and third year, his sophomore and junior year, he was very much third on the team and really pecking order behind Glenn Rice, which was the, their superstar and Lloyd Vaught, uh, who was another big man. And in 1989, Everyone remembers 1989, the Michigan fire. Well, yeah, they fired their coach because he was going to leave, but they did fire him. And 
in the tournament, they make this incredible uh, run. They win Michigan's only NCAA title. And Terry Mills, at least for the first half of that tournament, he was one of their best players. He scored 18 points against Xavier in the first round. 29 against South Alabama in round two, which doesn't sound that impressive until you watch the game and realize Michigan was actually losing that game at halftime. They had to they 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 really had to sweat that one out at least in the last I don't know thirty minutes of the game, and I would say was his best performance a very uh, highly efficient sixteen against uh, the University of North Carolina who was the, I believe the tournament favorite them in Illinois uh, in the in the Sweet Sixteen to get Michigan uh, to the Elite Eight and from from that point on he didn't I think he scored single digits the rest of the way the the Elite Eight in the two Final Four games. But he, he was still a, a starter. He still contributed. And I, I think everybody kind of looked forward to, at least with Glenn Rice graduating, Lloyd Vault was still there. But everyone kind of looked forward to uh, Terry Mills' senior year, uh, that next season being like his coming out party. Like that that was going to be his, his welcome to the big time as, as a star. And he, he did – his numbers, of course, went up without Glenn Rice, who one of the greatest NCAA tournament scorers of all time. So that that left a big void. His numbers, of course, shot up a little bit, but there was still a lot of criticism because he was still not that uh, great a defender. I know a lot of the criticism came because even though he was as big as he was, he he struggled to to be a double digit rebounder. I don't think he was ever that guy, and as far as his offensive game, this, I, if I could describe him to people, he was very much a, a low post technician, uh, good wingspan, good size, wide body. He could get his shot off against most anybody, but the fact of the matter is he was, he was very much floor bound. Uh, he was not athletic at any point in his career. And he, he, even though, despite all those things, he, he was still a first round pick in the draft. I mean, he, he was still seen as that type of a prospect. Everyone was just kind of left whining a little bit more. And it, it kind of came to a head. His final game against uh, Loyola Marymount, uh, famously, uh, Michigan's run as defending national champions ended. Uh, T- Terry Mills scored a highly efficient 24 points. I think he was 11 of 13 or 11 of 16, something like that from the floor. But when you look at the box score, Michigan lost that game 149 to 115. Mm. So it, it's just, yeah. He, T- Terry Mills, one of the finest, uh, I, w- I would say people look, especially Michigan fans, look look back upon Terry Mills' college career pretty positively. But I, I think from a national perspective, from an NBA perspective, he was kind of that guy that kind of underwhelmed people, even though he played well, if that makes sense. Like people expected him to be a little bit more than he was, which I don't know if it was terribly fair to him or not. So if you were, uh, if you were Terry Mills right now, um, you calling up your buddy, Rob Polinka and trying to get a job at the Lakers or, um, I don't know. Maybe I would. I'm just looking at this this 1989 Michigan team, and you know, you had mentioned that there were a lot of NBA players on this team. And it's just and look, I'm a Michigan State guy, so I I hate to give Michigan any sort of credit, but I mean, what a team! Glenn Rice, Ramil Robinson, Loy Vot, Terry Mills, uh, Sean Higgins, I guess. Uh, well, Sean Jimmy- Higgins played a cup of coffee in the NBA. Yeah. He, he he had a pretty good NBA career. I want to say he played with the. Uh, they run TMC Warriors for a minute. And then, of course, uh, you know, Lakers vice president of operations, Rob Palenka. That's yeah, it's, it's yeah, an interesting I, team. Yeah, Rob Palenka, more known as the, uh, the 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 veteran leader on the that first Fab Five team than the uh, mm-hmm. than being a bench guy on that 89 team. But, yeah, Rob right. Palenka, uh, still well-documented Michigan guy, had a pretty pretty decent career. Well, speaking of a career, Terry Mills leaves Michigan and decides to enter the NBA draft to start his NBA career. He gets taken 16th overall by Milwaukee 
And then everything goes crazy. Never actually plays for the Bucks. He gets traded to the Nuggets. But before that, he goes to Greece. Keith, what gives? Yeah, I, I honestly wish I had Terry Mills' uh, take on this uh, particular issue because g- generally if a if a draft pick goes to and, – and again, he was a first-round pick. He was a 16th pick in the draft. It's not like he was Mr. Irrelevant. I mean, he he had guaranteed NBA money coming in, but he instead he chooses to sign a contract for to play in Greece, and I I have to imagine that he intended to play for Greece uh, in Europe professionally uh, rather than joining the NBA. I don't know if that was because they offered him significantly more money than the Bucks did, because again there, there was no rookie salary scale back then. You could negotiate how for however much or however little you could get. Or if he just didn't want to play in Milwaukee, I'm not really sure. But yeah, it's shortly after the draft, he signs with a, a, a Greek team. He only plays a couple of, I would consider, exhibition games. Uh, gets into, a, and this was kind of a theme with him, but uh, the discipline thing. It was it was usually about his conditioning, but he had a few run-ins with, with coaches. And and that was the case in this particular instance where he just he didn't really get along with the coach or the situation there, and you know his, his European career ended after really a week, so he was back in the United States, and I think a, it was a few months after he was drafted, the uh, the Bucks traded his rights to Denver for Danny Shays, which was oof. And Danny Shays, I'll, I'll credit to him, but a career role player. I mean, I, it's hard for me to fathom picking a guy 16th in the draft, not even playing him for a game just to see what you have and then trading him for a guy that was really a, a backup quality center for a great number of years in his time. He certainly, certainly wasn't Dolph Shays, that's for sure. No, his, his dad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and then this kind of, starts a rocky uh tumultuous couple of years for terry mills in the nba he wasn't very good uh as i said before there was a lot of i would say there was a lot of heavy criticism about his conditioning and people criticized his work ethic he he wasn't again i've only seen a handful of his games from this but he he just he, he didn't really look like he belonged on an nba floor if that makes sense he played he didn't play much, but he played. But he he looked like a guy that was you know, the length of his rookie contract from being out of the league. And that that was the way it was for him in Denver. And then halfway through his rookie season in Denver, he gets traded to the New Jersey Nets in a three-way deal, which I find very interesting because, all right, well, first of all, in this deal, the Nets sent a 92 first-round pick to Denver, which wound up becoming Bryant Stith, who was – they're starting shooting guard for most of the decade. So it was a good deal for them. Yeah. And also in part of the deal, they traded uh, the the Greyhound himself, Walter Davis in his uh, final years in the league to Portland for one Drazen Petrovic. So that now that you could say this was a, a great haul just for Petrovic alone, a great haul for the Nets uh, took them from being one of the worst teams in the league. Petrovic steps in. I would say almost immediately makes an impact and the Nets are, they, they, they're never one of the best teams in the league uh, in the early nineties, but they are a consistently good team. They're a playoff team. I would say lower half of the East uh, in the Eastern conference playoff bracket for a few, a few years. Terry Mills, again, that the second half of his rookie season doesn't go much better than the first half. He struggles in New Jersey too, but I, I would say a little bit of uh, fortune goes his way. And I hate to say that when in the context of another player getting hurt, but Derek Coleman, their number one draft pick in 1990, their superstar, well, hope, hopeful superstar power forward. He goes down uh, that second, his second season in 1991, misses 24 games. Uh, Terry Mills steps in, starts those 24, uh, the Nets win 13 of them, and Terry Mills, his his numbers jump up to 13 points, 8 rebounds, shoots 
close to 50 percent from the floor. Again, these are not eye popping numbers, but you have to understand he still he still wasn't playing a ton. I think he only as even as a starter he be he barely played more than half the game. But it was one of those instances where other teams around the league were looking at this guy who was a very celebrated talent going back to his high school days. And it looks like he's starting to finally put it together. And they look at uh, New Jersey's roster and see a very highly paid number one draft pick playing ahead of him. And this was the end of Derek Coleman's uh, rookie contract. He only signed a two-year deal (laughs) originally with the uh, Nuggets. So he was a restricted free agent that offseason. And one team that that really noticed was the Detroit Pistons. And Jack McCloskey had just left the team. I want to say Billy McKinney was the, the GM at that point. He had just taken over. He was trying to make a splash. The Pistons had just come into some cap room because, you know, Vinnie Johnson was gone. James Edwards was gone. And they, they spent a lot of that uh, on an offer sheet for Terry Mills, which was a massive offer sheet at the time, Uh, five years, $10 million, which today sounds laughable. I don't, I'm not even sure. I don't even know if that would be minimum salary today. It it probably would. That's what we, that's that's what we make for doing this podcast. (laughs) So yeah, there were, there weren't too many guys. I, I think at the time it made him the third highest paid guy in the team behind, uh, or third or fourth behind Isaiah Rodman and Joe Dumars. And I, I want to say being a, a local guy, a Detroit guy probably had a lot to do with it. Uh, the, again, the, the bad boys were at the very, very end of their rope. They've interest was kind of waning. The, the team was, was going, I would say backwards for lack of a better description. And I, I think they saw Terry Mills as kind of that that energetic uh, burst because they didn't have any young prospects coming up the, the pipe either. So Terry Mills, 92-93, Rodman is still there. Bill Ambeer is still there. So he, he spends a lot of his time coming off the bench, but he, he plays big minutes. Averages just under 15 points a game. Averages just a little over 27 minutes, which is pretty good for a third big. Uh, he he does start 46 games because, again, that team is old and dysfunctional and a lot of guys miss time, but he wasn't really a starter. Mainly, this his first year in Detroit would be known for the 41 points he dropped on poor Robert Parrish, who never saw it coming. Nope. I'm not even sure if Robert Parrish knew who Terry Mills was before this game. But he, yeah, I promise you he knew after. It Absolutely. was... Uh, it was a virtuoso performance, uh, probably foreign to Piston fans that remember him during the Teal years because he only attempted one three. He made it uh, over pa- in Parrish's face <laughs> to put the game away. Uh, but but for the most part, he was uh, doing what he did his whole life until that point. He was posting and toasting, uh, as, as Walt Frazier would put it. He, w- he was taking any and all Celtic uh, players in the low post and just shooting fadeaways. Uh, over the top just over and over and over again and he was he was hitting everything that night uh w- wonderful uh wonderful performance i think one of the best low post games just in a single regular season game i've seen from a piston you know ever i mean i'm not going to ex- include bob Lanier because i'm i'm assuming he made he had 50 games like that you know in one season but i don't have enough bob Lanier film so you'll have to forgive me Right. But in my lifetime, watching a Detroit Piston play uh, out of the low post, it's it's really like Terry Mills and Corliss Williamson is and, and Greg Monroe is guys that just had some games where they just it didn't matter who they had uh, on them. It, once they put their back to the basket, it was just an automatic two. So uh, you know, it, it's it feels like you almost remember. Terry Mills is being like a, a starter all the time. And, and he did start, he did start a lot of games in, in uh, 94, 95. But like when I think when most people think about Terry Mills is sort of that, that 96, 97 time, he's just an off the bench guy. And I, I, I felt like I just, I felt like I remembered him in a different way, but, and, 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 you know, and, and we'll get to that in just a second, but, 
you know, in, in 94 and 95, he, he has some pretty big years. I mean, 17 points a game in 94, 15 points a game in 95. He's a quality starter. Um, yeah, very much. Uh, especially that 94 team, which I, I have already talked about at nauseum and I will continue to talk about it because it was just the most miserable point of my life watching basketball. Yeah. It, it, it's just that, that that team was so dysfunctional and it had yes, the, the record was awful. They only won 20 games that season. But it was just the, the the chemistry was really bad. Guys couldn't wait to to leave that team. Bill and Beer retired a month into the season rather than taking his farewell tour. He just said, screw it. I, I'm not I can't deal with this anymore. But the, the one really the one bright spot of that entire season, I mean, I suppose you could count Lindsay Hunter's rookie season was okay. But Terry Mills was probably uh, he and Dumars uh, were were really the the MVPs of that team. And uh, Terry Mills, he he plays eighty games. He scores a career high seventeen point three points. I, I think he had a career high in rebounds. Yeah, he did eight point four rebounds. Uh, career high in in well, no, he that was it was close to, but he he played just under thirty five minutes per game. But he. Terry, he was one of those guys that he he could put up numbers on a bad team. I'll, I'll put it that way. And this is nothing against Terry Mills, but if you put him on a bad team, he could give you efficient, high volume, relatively high volume scoring numbers because he 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 was so good on the low block and he was such a good passer. He was really really efficient from that from that inside the the sixteen foot range where he he could pull up, he he could post, he could draw fouls. And he had such a wide body. He was tough to deal with. And that 94 team, yeah, as bad as they were, uh, Terry Mills excelled. And it wasn't just he was it wasn't just that he was attempting more. No, his efficiency was still pretty damn high. He shot over 51 percent that season. But 95, I think, is the year that we really start to see Terry Mills become Terry Mills. Uh once again, he he starts, he plays 35 minutes a game, averages 15. But I think the number you want to look at is the three-pointers. And that was the very first time uh, in his career where he attempted more than one three a game. He didn't just attempt more than one. He attempted four uh, on average per game, shot 38% doing it. And there is one reason for that, and that is Grant Hill. Uh, Grant Hill, that was his rookie season. Uh, came into the league ready to go. One of the dominant uh, slashing forwards in the entire league could collapse a defense really just by handling the ball because teams were scared to death of him getting into the lane and dunking on them. So what does that mean for Terry Mills? Well, that means that the the other team's big men are going to be shading the rim a little bit more. And that's generally what happened. You'd have Terry Mills out there and he would, instead of being a low post player, he would, he he started leaving the paint for Grant Hill to to give him room to drive, and in turn, Grant Hill he would drive the lane and kick out to Terry Mills, who was usually open for for three pointers more often than not, because this was still an era in the '90s where your your power forward and your center were kind of lumbering big men that were in there to block shots and grab rebounds. They're not used to having to close out 23 feet uh, all the way to the three point line. And yeah, that really, I think, is when Terry Mills started to become three Mills. And I also want to point out one specific game. I, I want to say it was the first couple of weeks of the season where Terry Mills, it was a game in Denver where it the Pistons are on the road and Denver comes back to tie the game with a few seconds left. And Terry Mills, and again, this was shown on commercials for on Piston commercials for I I it feels like years because everyone just loved this play. But Terry Terry Mills gets the ball on the on the baseline, takes a, a couple of dribbles, shoots the ball over to Kevin Matumbo, who's right in his face, and swishes it for the game winner. And that really became the that was the first of many, many, many Terry Mills game-winning uh, jumpers in his Detroit Pistons career. He was really one of the greatest clutch shooters 
and I don't say this lightly, but he had as many game winners as anyone I can remember in Pistons history other than uh, Chauncey Billups. And I, I think Kate Cunningham will be there eventually. But for, for a guy that was a role player, uh, really for his entire career, Terry Mills was the guy that you wanted to take the last shot. He, he, he just was. I'm sorry. With, with all due respect to Joe Dumars and Grant Hill, both Hall of Fame players, Terry Mills, what made him great uh, for that moment was because, well, one, he he never got rattled in the clutch. Uh, two, he was 6'10 with long arms. You knew he could get his shot off over basically anybody. And three, he had excellent range. He was, he was whether you covered him or not, he was a very, very, very good shooter out to 25 feet and beyond really so any any time a Pistons game in the mid to late 90s got close you you wanted Terry Mills to be the guy to get that last shot because he had done it so many times let's have some fun real quick let's let's listen in on that call Terry Mills has a cut on his finger so it is yep, there's the trigger. commercial Terry he's got to put it up fires Yes. Mr. Blood knocks it home. No wonder they wanted to get the blood stopped. Mr. Blood. That's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I remember that. Well, the, the reason behind that call is that he, he had a cut. And they had to call an extra timeout, I believe, to to stop the bleeding, to allow him to, to return to the game. That That's where the that great call from Fred McLeod came from. God, I remember that game too. It's one of those, that game happened so long ago, but it was one of those, I'm pretty sure it was on a school night. It was late. Again, the game was in Denver. So it was probably close to midnight at that point. And I had snuck out to finish the, to watch the end of that game. And it was, yeah, it was, it was one of those really, really cool moments uh, where, yeah, it, you thought after that game winner that the, the Pistons would maybe they could do something this year because it was still early and they their record was pretty good at that point. And then, yeah, the the bottom dropped out and they were almost as bad as they were the year before. But it was mostly because of injuries uh, rather than team chemistry being bad. So uh, the next season, the, the Pistons do a, man, a managerial overhaul, so to speak. Doug Collins comes in. He takes over as both GM and the head coach. Uh, his his first order, well, not his first order, but one of his his first uh, orders of business was to move Terry Mills back to the bench uh, and bring in Otis Thorpe, who was a much stronger rebounder, much stronger defender. And it worked. The, the Pistons had a winning season. They won 46 games. You can't really argue it. Right. Uh, but I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Doug Collins didn't forget that Terry Mills was a clutch shooter because that season he had two game winners that I can recall that were really win or lose shots. These were games where the Pistons were behind and Terry Mills was taking the last shot. First one was against one of my favorite, uh, probably my favorite Pistons game of all time that I don't have in my archive. Uh, it was a, I want to say it was a December game at home against the, the Rockets, who were the defending champions at the time. And the, the Rockets were up, I believe, by one or two points. And Terry Mills gets the ball at top of the arc behind the three-point line. Again, Hakeem Olajuwon, just like the Matumbo play, Hakeem Olajuwon right in his face. Uh, he Everybody knew that you couldn't let him shoot. And with, with Hakeem basically in his jersey, uh, Terry Mills swishes home a, a, a three-pointer to win the game. It was such a great moment because he's everyone's mobbing him like oh, on top of the scorer's table. I, I don't know if I've ever seen George Blaha more excited over a regular season outcome. <laughs> and I, I usually he was he the excitement that he showed is reserved for the postseason, but that was such a big moment because the Pistons were struggling at the time. And people were wondering if this whole season was going to work out, this group of players. And that shot really kind of turned the season around. And a a few weeks later, he did the same thing against uh, San Antonio, in San Antonio, where they were down by a couple of points. And Terry Mills, same exact spot, top of the key, three-pointer, hits the shot when I think there might have been 
0.1 or 0.2 left on the clock, but it was over. And th- there were so many moments like that where that I probably can't even remember where the game was either tied or he, he was getting them to within striking range to win. But anytime in the, in the last minute of a close game, man, that, that guy was money. He, he just, just un ice water in his veins. And I don't call it, him three mils for nothing. Yeah. And if you look at his numbers, it, he, he did take, yeah, a major step back because he wasn't playing as much. But but the fact is, he they were still going to him with the game on the line. The sixth, seventh man of the team was still the guy taking the last shot, which is that 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 was so very much Terry Mills. So it's interesting that he never he never wins the sixth man of the year award, especially I, in '97. He just I don't think he really had the numbers for it. Fair. And I, well, the volume I should say like. Even in '97, his his efficiency was off the charts good, but he just didn't have the minutes or the volume. I think uh, to to really like 11 points a game that '97 season. I, I don't know how many six men of the year, not named Bill Walton, have ever won six man of the year, uh, scoring that few points. And he he was still barely playing half the season. But that that '97 season, which you're bringing up, is. Again, significant because that's that's really when you see Terry Mills, the the three point marksman at his peak. So, <clears throat> Alan Houston leaves uh, infamously that off season of '96. That leaves a tremendous uh, void in the terms of spacing uh, in that Pistons rotation. Grant Hill getting better every year, but. That also means that defenses are keying in on him on his drives every year, and he really needs uh, more and more elite outside shooting around him to keep the defense honest. And Terry Mills steps up in that 97 season. He and Joe Dumars both, but Terry Mills kind of, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere, but no one was, no one was expecting him. The, the, the type of season that he had, he, his three point attempts per game, uh, they skyrocket. He shoots over five threes a game, uh, shoots over 42%. Terry Mills, c- coming off the bench uh, in 96 97, was eighth in the league in three point percentage and 10th in, tenth in the NBA in three pointers made. Mm. Uh, he actually is invited to the three point contest uh, that season, which we got to stop and talk about. We- we got we got to we got to stop we really? yes we got to stop and, and we <laughs> okay. got we got to talk about 97 especially all-star weekend because i got to ask in my opinion this is the greatest all-star weekend of all time just going over what you got you got this is the 50th anniversary yeah. where everybody comes out in those amazing jackets um they are got, sweet yeah yeah kobe bryant wins the dunk contest this it, year what it, he does but if you look at that dunk, it is one of the worst dunk contests of all time. Even Kobe wasn't very good in it, I, but he I, does. He, he brings the name recognition. I understand that. Go right, on. I understand that. But for me, that that uh, that was like the first dunk contest that I remember like um, being in love with. Kobe Bryant is my favorite player of all time. So I always look back and because. But- at that time, he was close to our age, so I thought, you know, man, if he could yeah. do this, I could do this. Uh, so yeah, that's why I I value that maybe a little bit more than everybody else yeah. does. But yeah, that to, for for clarity, this was the dunk contest that made the NBA say we may we should maybe stop <laughs> doing the dunk contest, and they they scrapped it until two thousand. Well, they had Kobe, Bob Sura, yep, Darvin Ham. Yeah. Um, who else am I forgetting? Uh, and, and Kobe again. Kobe is a, a enormous name uh, now in 2022. Back then, he was an 18 year old rookie that was still playing deep bench minutes from for the Lakers. Like, yeah. He, yeah, he was a very highly touted first round pick. He was dating he dating a pop star. Yeah, Brady. <laughs> Brady was in a, in attendance at that dunk contest. I remember it. But yeah, that was yeah he. His name alone kind of saves that dunk contest from from people talking about how crappy it was. But if you if you go back and watch it, it is it is pretty. I would say a little bit low energy. Out to be kind. Okay, that's fair. Um, let me look. Let's take a quick little gander here at who uh, 
gander. I guess that's when you get older, you start saying things like gander. Um, let's take a look at who was in that three-point contest real quick. There was Sam Perkins, Terry Mills, Dale Ellis, John Stockton, Walt Williams, which seems out of place. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Glenn Rice, Tim Legler, and Steve Kerr, who won it. Uh, Terry gets eliminated almost immediately. Yeah, Terry Terry did not have a very uh, good showing. And both him and Sam Perkins, and the, the, the thing is that the three-point contest really isn't built for for big men, and especially big men of the 90s, the, the stretch bigs that kind of take a need to take their time a little bit to get their shot off. And yeah, Ter- Terry Mills, you can see he's kind of rushing things. I remember him in that because he's, it's not often that you see a Detroit Piston in a, in one of the, the skill competitions. It just isn't like, that's just one of the, the things about Pistons history. We don't do the slam dunk champions. We don't do three point champions. Like, uh, unless it involves a WNBA player, we're kind of frozen out of all-star weekend historically i i couldn't explain why i want hamadou diallo back in the dunk contest this year let's let's all get together pistons fans and we'll, oh, let's make it happen the, the way things are going he'll be he'll <laughs> get traded to orlando or something and he'll go he'll, he'll uh, be back in the contest and he'll win it in a different jersey i that, hope not <laughs> nothing against Tommy. that's just that just seems to be how how pistons luck would play out oh jeez. All right. Uh, so one, yeah. one thing I want to get before we move on to that season, uh, and this is really Terry Mills' greatest individual accomplishment, uh, I would say, as a Piston. So there was this little stretch early in December. Uh, he starts out, I want to say, against Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was Atlanta, where he he missed his first – he made his first three, missed his second, and then made his next six. Like he was seven for eight from three point range for that game. A ridiculous, like he, he, Matumbo just could not, like that was the worst night of Matumbo's life because Terry Mills, he kept pulling up for threes in transition and there was just nothing they could do about it. He, even with Christian Leitner out there, they just, they, they didn't have anyone that would, that could get out there and, and contest him. And he was just on fire that night. He wasn't missing. So he ends that night making his last six. Uh, very next night goes to goes to Cleveland. Goes six for six in Cleveland. Uh, so now we are up to 12 three-pointers in a row made. And then he, they play New Jersey. I forget it was a home or road game. And he makes his first three-pointer of that game. It, it was New Jersey or Washington. I want to say it was New Jersey. But anyway, the, the, the point is, Terry Mills at one point that season made 13 straight three-pointers over three games without missing. And that was an NBA record held for a very, very, very long time. That was an NBA record held for almost a, a quarter, almost a quarter century. And Steph he, Curry I, broke that, right? Steph had to have broken that. Ray Allen. I, I think um, Shake Milton actually got Shake there. Shake Milton. Of all I, I want to say that, that he did, but it, it, it's still. And again, I want to say uh, a Detroit Piston tied him to, I think it was Wayne, was it Wayne Ellington? That, that, that tied him? I think it might have been. Uh, anyway, just for that time, for, for 1997, to see a guy just shoot threes over and over and over and over again, and he's making all of them, uh, that, that was just quintessential Terry Mills. And, again, he wasn't just a guy that shot threes. He was a guy that made threes at a high percentage. He was a pure shooter. And th- this is kind of... That was the peak of Terry Mills, uh, old three Mills as we saw him. And again, I really wish I had uh, Terry's take on this, but because there, there are two ways to look at this. He leaves that offseason, despite yeah. the, the Pistons being a tremendous fit, probably the best fit for him in the entire league uh, with Grant Hill as his, his pick and roll and transition uh, partner. And but he but he leaves and I I don't know if that's because because Miami only paid him I think two and a half million over two years I don't know if the Pistons weren't offering that or he simply like everybody else on that team wanted to get away from Doug Collins because Doug, Doug Collins drove a lot of players off uh, from that fifty four win uh, Piston team and even the year before with Allen Houston who I don't think wanted to be I I think he could have been convinced to come back but I I, I certainly think playing for for Doug probably 
uh, I'll put it this way. He didn't think twice about playing for some, for another coach. It It is interesting though. If you know, Terry Mills, I love him, uh, but he does have a history of kind of having some issues with coaching weight, all that. Um, going to Pat Riley just does not seem like a, a match. It was, like, yeah, it, it was just, the absolute, like on paper, you'd say, okay, this Miami heat team very much, a, yeah. a pound the paint team, a defensive oriented team. They have Alonzo Mourning that can cover for him defensively. Uh, Terry Mills looks like he would fit right in as a floor spacing big, but you got to understand Pat Riley. And I, I know Terry Mills was hurt uh, during those years in Miami. He was never in shape. And, and Pat Riley, he's notorious uh, his entire life for if you are not in shape to the way I believe that you need to be in shape. I will not play you. I don't care who you are. Right. And that I, again, I don't know for a fact that was the case why he didn't play in Miami, but that seemed, if you, it's as well, adding one plus one in, in this instance, it be, being a guy that's notorious for kind of never being in tip top shape uh, for, for most of his career, going to playing for a guy that cares more than, than maybe any executive in the league about players being in shape. It was just a bad mix. And yeah, he, he barely really played in Miami those two years, that 98 and lockout short in 99 season. Yeah. 51 games in all. Um, it is, it is weird to, I mean, you look at that 98 heat team and man, if Terry's healthy, he's with uh, Ike Austin, PJ Brown, Tim Hardaway, Vashawn Leonard, Thunder, Dan Marley, Jamal Mashburn, Alonzo Mourning. Yeah. Even Charles Smith, uh, you know, like, man, that team. I mean, and they and they were fine. You know, they won fifty games, well, uh, or fifty five games. Were fine. They were fine until they met the Knicks. Yeah, uh, man, they. It just seems like that team should have went a lot farther. And speaking of the Knicks, I I wonder, man, you know, Terry might have been better on the Knicks. I, maybe he should have just went there. I would agree with you, except for one thing: the Knicks had Larry Johnson. Oh yeah, good point. Good point. Even though he and wasn't, Oakley. yeah. Well, I mean, just yeah. Oakley was more of a mid-range guy, but Larry Johnson was, especially at that point in his career, where he was having back problems. He was very much floor bound, uh, a little bit bigger than he used to be. He, yeah, he was filling that that stretch four role kind of for, even though he posted up a little bit still. But he was, yeah, he played that stretch four role for the Knicks. He he was kind of their three point shooting big. Uh, Miami really didn't have that guy. Yeah. And, and he would have, you would think he would fit right in. Cause that was, that that's kind of what doomed Miami in the playoffs every year is they, they didn't have enough outside shooting. Like they, they didn't have enough shot creation uh, really other than Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning, And neither of them were elite shot creators. So the only way to compensate for that is to, to space the floor, to allow more freedom. And they didn't have really any floor spacing from their front court. The, the three point shooters were all the guards. So yeah, Terry Mills, in theory, like he he should have been a great uh, asset for them in the playoffs. It just, he, he, yeah, the 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 situation was just bad. But you you could see it was almost like he and the Pistons were never really meant to be apart because a, after looking like a guy that had a foot out of the league in Miami, he comes right back to Detroit. Uh, it, I remember he's all eighty two games. With, with these, yeah, and again, his his conditioning was gone. I mean, he was playing with these huge knee braces. Uh, he he really was only running from three point line. Like, like, yeah, he would he would have to play in the paint on defense, but on offense, he would really stop at the three point line almost every time. At that point, uh, waiting for a, a, a trail three to come. Like, he, he very very rarely uh, played inside the paint, but. Yeah, he 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 comes right back. Uh, shoots thirty nine percent from three. Uh, plays all eighty two games. Starts seventy eight of them. He he's again he's a ceremonial starter at this point. He's averaging less than seven points a game. But it's he, crazy to me that he starts seventy eight games at, at it, the it shape is. that he was in. Yeah, like if you if you ever watch any of the uh, games from that ninety nine two thousand Piston team. He's the slowest guy on the floor in all of them, but he, his presence on the floor is what allowed Jerry Stackhouse and Grant Hill to have career seasons. Uh, 
just attacking the rim over and over again. Because even in the in the condition he was in, he was driving uh, opposing big men nuts. Because you you couldn't, especially if you're a, a a center and your job is to protect the rim, and you see two of the premier uh, paint finishing uh, forwards or wings in the NBA in Grant Hill and Jerry Stackhouse, which they were at the time. Those are guys that are attacking the rim almost every single possession. But you have Terry Mills, one of the best shooting uh, big men in the league, just camping out behind the three-point line, waiting for you to try to cheat off of him. And the, the Pistons were one of the most efficient offensive teams in the entire league that season. And Terry Mills was a huge reason why. He, he, he was also probably a big reason why they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Mm. But they were an extremely fun team. Uh, even though they were, I, I think they had potential to be a winning team, but Grant Hill's uh, ankle injury towards the end of the season kind of put all that away. Well, but they that do, was, they do that, make the playoffs. They, they well, they, they do because they had they because they had won so many games with Grant Hill yeah. uh, prior to his his injury, and he came back, and they were still winning even with him playing on one leg because. Defenses really hadn't caught on to the fact he was hurt, I don't think. So even though he was he was kind of playing uh, facilitator rather than do dominant scorer those last couple months, uh, that, the last month and a half of the season. But in the playoffs, it was, it was unfortunately very clear that he was hurt. And Miami was attacking him over and over again. And it was a – I'll put it this way. Grant Hill shouldn't have played the last two months of the season. He should have – they should have ruled him out long, long, long before that playoff series. And I won't get into it because we're not – that isn't the topic of this podcast. But it, it was – I thought it was – it was almost like when Ben Wallace came back at the end of his career and had a great couple of years uh, versus his the expectations of what the Pistons fans thought they were getting, you know, in, in 2010 with him. Uh, Terry Mills was almost like that in 2000 where, you know, they got the gang back together and he just stepped right in after being gone for a couple of years. And he was almost that he, he had that same impact uh, or that same effect on the floor where he was just this perfect, uh, perfect match with, with Grant Hill, the, uh, the superstar, this, this role player that they made each other better, which was so cool. And that was really it for, for Terry Mills. he, he 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 just couldn't uh, he couldn't play anymore. I I know he went to the Indiana to try to replace uh, Sam Perkins as being their stretch five. It doesn't work out. Much like Miami, he, he doesn't even see the floor for them, and he's kind of gone at that point. Fourteen games, just fourteen games with the Pacers, and then he's and then he's out of here. And then uh, you know, and that's that concludes Terry Mills' career. Um, you know, now he calls Michigan basketball on the radio and, um, uh, I think he even coached, uh, in the IBL there for a minute. Uh, and then, you know, that's, that's that. So now we get to one of my favorite parts of this podcast that we just kind of started doing legacy. What, what is Terry Mills legacy on this team? Is he, you know, the all time, like six man, three point shooter. Um, I don't know. Cause that feels like that goes to Vinnie Johnson. Right. Um, like what, what is, what is Terry Mills legacy? How does he get remembered? Well, Terry Mills, even today, even when you consider he wasn't really attempting threes, the first half of his Pistons career, the majority of what in the first half is when he played the majority of his minutes. Now he's still, I think six all time and three pointers made in team history. He is, I, I can't certainly can't call him the original stretch big because Bill Ambeer has that on lock, but he is the the first three point shooting specialist big uh, in team history. He is he is the first major free agent signing in team history from another team, and he, he really holds a he holds a lot of unique places. Uh, he's one of the I, again, I said this at the beginning of the podcast. He's one of the greatest homegrown Pistons uh, ever. I, I think he's in the top, really top three or four there. If you, I mean, you can call Terry, uh, Dave DeBusher, 
John Long, but other than that, I mean, who else? I mean, Chris Weber's half season. I, I mean, it's hard to compare between a guy that was a starter for half a year, a guy that was a, a high quality backup for, you know, many years. And yeah, his, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think he's one of the most loved, uh, role-playing Pistons uh, really of all time and considering the Pistons never won a playoff series in the time that he was here I, I think that's pretty impressive I, especially because he was such a novelty at the time uh, this big uh, wide-bodied 6'10 looks like he should be playing center the whole time and he could do that to a degree but especially uh, during the once he started getting around the mid-90s where he would pull up from three-pointers and it again the, the this sounds probably weird to people listening at home, especially the younger crowd that weren't were alive back then or can't remember it. But it was such a novelty to see a big man uh, specialize and just pulling up from three uh, over and over and over again. Not just as an afterthought, not just in an emergency situation, but Terry Mills was out there to hit three pointers and to space the floor. And that was really, really, really cool to a lot of people, a lot of Piston fans. I, I don't think at least in the time that I've spent on social media, I've never heard anyone say anything uh, negative about Terry Mills time with the Pistons. He was, he's nope. one, everybody's uh, favorite role player from that time. Yeah. I think he fits right in that camp with, you know, Lindsey Hunter and um, you know, Mike James, that kind of thing. He's it, Detroit loves role players on all their teams, Lions, Red Wings. That's like, a thing that everyone in Detroit loves. I mean, maybe it's like that in other places. I don't really know. I, do people love Charlotte Hornets role players? You're out there in 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 uh, Carolina. I, I I don't. Well, people honestly, people don't even really love Charlotte Hornets superstars. So, okay. <laughs> I, I if if you look at um like they to this day they still have only one jersey retired, and that's the uh, the late Bobby Phil's uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you don't see if you go to a Hornets game, you're not going to see Larry Johnson's number two up there. You're not going to see Alonzo Mourning's number thirty three up there. I think it's criminal that uh, Muggsy Bogues his his number one jersey isn't up there because he probably deserves it more than anybody. Absolutely, but, and he would he would be considered you know one of the great role players of the entire decade of the nineties. So I, I, if if anyone's listening is from Charlotte or, or living in Charlotte like I am currently in this area. Uh, I, I apologize. Uh, I, I very much would like Hornets hysteria to come back here. It would make my life more interesting. Uh, but it, it's just not a thing that's that's happened or that's happened since the people people here are still talking about like the early 90s uh, with with Alonzo and, and Larry Johnson. That's kind of where Hornets basketball is at at the moment. Yeah, oh, man. Um, all right. And then there's another question. And this is one that I'm going to add to every show because I just love asking this question. Could Terry Mills play in today's game? My first thought is that he couldn't. Um, uh, I just, you know, there, the NBA in the 90s was this time period where you, big guys like a Terry Mills or an Oliver Miller or a Wayman Tisdale, uh, you know, you, you name them, like a big guy. And and not big in the sense of like big muscular guy, but a big you know kind of let's I husky is husky a bad thing to say I don't know I'm a husky guy I guess so I could say it. Uh, he was kind of a husky fella, you know. I don't I don't know if if he could play in today's game, which I think has a lot more athleticism. I don't know if he could do that. Um, the three point shooting does make it interesting, though. What are you? What's your take? Yeah, I'm of two minds on this defensively he struggled i think even in the 90s which is a big red flag uh because even though the 90s were okay it was a defensive oriented era uh but he really didn't have the foot speed to come out and guard he was good at defending in the post he had quick hands he had good positioning he was a wide body he was hard to get around but he he wasn't he didn't have much lift he wasn't going to block shots and god forbid he got switched on to a uh a player with real foot speed it was kind of over and I think that would hurt him in today's game, but I I don't think that would doom him. Like the uh, one guy that comes to mind is uh, Belizia from. Uh, I know he played for Golden State for a minute. He he's bounced around the league for for years. Uh, yeah, he was yeah he was he's he was with Golden State last year. Started with Minnesota, moved on to Sacramento, but he's been in the league for six seven years now. 
And Terry Mills, I think, is certainly a better player than Belizia. Uh, uh, and that's kind of his role is, is a slow-footed stretch big. And he, he struggles to guard people. Everybody knows it, but he still plays because, <laughs> because he's a really, really, really good shooter. And there, there's and not to single him out, there's a lot of guys in the NBA like that today that are in the league making good money simply because they're tall and they can shoot. Terry Mills was more than just a shooter. He he could punish mis mismatches in, in the low post, which I think would make him very interesting uh, today because there's not a whole lot of stretch bigs that can do anything but stretch, uh, for lack of uh, better words for it. Uh, you can switch a little guy on a lot of these stretch bigs and they're, they're still going to shoot over the top, uh, you know, from distance, but they're not going to be able to do anything in the paint because they just don't have those skill set, uh, that skill set. And Terry Mills absolutely did. That's where his bread, that was his bread and butter before coming a shoot, becoming a shooter. So I, I to answer your question, I don't think Terry Mills would be, I'll put it this way. I, I think he would play less today, but I think he would make more money if that makes sense, because he would be, okay. he would be much more of a specialist, uh, but at the same time, I think his, and again, he was a pure, pure outside shooter. I, I think he should have probably started shooting threes long before he did. He he would have been, uh, I think he would have had a better career or at least made more money doing it. But yeah, today with, with quality stretch bigs at, at really a premium, like even if you look at Kelly Olenek, who I don't know if I would consider him a great outside shooter or not, but the, Terry Mills was so good and so efficient that I it is hard for me to see an NBA uh, without a player like Terry Mills having an opportunity to have a really good career for himself. Ke Kelly Olenek, is that a good comp? Kelly Olenek, Terry Mills <sighs> feels like a good comp. Without right. the three-point shooting. Yeah, and, and, well, Kelly, Kelly Olenek can shoot a little bit, but from a skills perspective, maybe from a body type perspective, they couldn't be more uh, dissimilar other than they're close to the same height. Uh, Kelly, very much a, a skinnier player, short arms. Terry Mills, a little more, little more slow-footed, uh, but also a much more wide body, a lot stronger. Uh he created a lot of space uh, to get his shot off with, you know, using his frame and using uh, his ability to, to bump defenders off. Cause he was, he was a really strong guy and Kelly Olenek, I think is more based on deception and fakes and uh, being, I would say a little more quick footed than Terry, but I, I don't think the comparison is that far off, but if you, if you place them side to side, you, you would kind of probably laugh a little bit. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Well, that's Terry Mills. That's the, that concludes the Terry Mills episode. Um, I always have fun with these things. I, I love that episode. We've got another piston coming up soon. I'm not going to tell you who he is yet. I'll just say that he's pistons royalty. That's all I'll say. Pistons royalty do with, with what you want with that. Uh, next week, we're going to be covering the 1988 NBA draft. This is going to be a fun one. Interesting. You got Danny Manning, Rick Smith's, Mitch Richmond, Thunder Dan Marley, Rod Strickland, the the legendary Fennis Dembo, uh, and and the list goes on. There's some interest. Anthony Mason. There's some interesting names here. I'm I'm. This is this is going to be one of the more uh, Rex Chapman as well. This is going to be one of the more interesting drafts I think we do because I think I think you're going to have a new number one pick in this draft. I think you're going to have definitely a, a lot of, a lot of things happening here. So. Um, well, yeah, definitely. No disrespect to Danny Manning, but he's no, not going to be a number one pick. <laughs> there, 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 there was no superstar in this draft, but there were a lot of very good, uh, two pretty good uh, players in this draft. So it, to me, you could take the same two people and do a redraft, and you would come up with, you know, five or six different results. It, it's just. Well, there, there really is no clear cut one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This, this I, I'm excited to see where this goes because this one I think is very unpredictable. Yes. Well, I am officially on the clock for this, and uh, and 
I'm the Clippers and, and I will have my pick next week. I already know what it's going to be, but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to that next week. And um, once again, thank you everybody uh, internationally for listening. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, follow on Twitter that bad boys beyond uh, do all that stuff. Keith, tell them where they can find you and what you're working on. So my name is uh Keith Black Trudeau. You can find me on Twitter at charlatan28. What I generally do there is it's a it's a basketball history account, but I cut videos every weekend, usually around the weekend. And you know, th- this past week I did a uh, I know I know I did a Rex Chapman video. We just brought him up. Uh, I, I did a video of young uh, young Dirk and young Steve Nash. The but when I'm not doing videos, I'll talk basketball, any kind of basketball uh, subject related to the history of the sport. I'm I'm always up for discussing. Uh, not usually Pistons related during the season, but this is the off season, so it's uh, it's really wild card uh, week every week. So it, it could be just about anything. You say young Dirk? Is that Dolph Lundgren haircut, Dirk Nowitzki? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, no. You, I'm trying to place it, but it was like long blonde hair, Dirk. Oh, okay. It, it was, yeah. That See, initial, was, that initial. It wasn't haircut. like rookie Dirk. This is, but th- this was Dirk when he was his first playoff series. But he was only 22 uh, years old at the time, so he was still really young. Okay. Uh, and then you can find me at pod underscore Peyton. Uh, we are almost to football season. Hard Knocks is uh, is going to be on again tonight. And what did I say to you last week? When you wake up in the morning, listen to this podcast, then run over to Pride of Detroit, read my thoughts on episode three of Hard Knocks. I'm going to say it to you again next Tuesday. And I'm going to say it to you the Tuesday after that. And then I'm not going to say it to you anymore because Hard Knocks will be over. But uh, Lions football is coming up. Lots of uh, articles coming out. Keep an eye on Pride of Detroit. Follow me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton, as I mentioned. I'll talk Lions with you. I'll talk Pistons with you. I'll talk pro wrestling with you. Whatever your deal is, I'm there. And that is going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week with the 1988 NBA Redraft.